Tonight's guest on A Conversation with Brian, we have Greg Taylor, a career educator who has spent almost 30 years in our profession. Greg is an excellent teacher. We worked together almost 20 years ago uh, in the same elementary school. Greg has taught in Maryland, Virginia, and DC. He is a master at building student relationships and connections. He presently is a mentor teacher in Prince George's County. And we're going to talk to Greg about all things education and a little bit about his basketball career. Greg was a Division I basketball player. So without further ado, we'd like to welcome to a conversation with Brian, Greg Taylor. Greg, it's been a, a long time coming. Thanks for, for coming on. Thanks for having me, brother. Hey, um, at the beginning of each one of my shows, I ask my guests to uh, talk a little bit about their their personal story, their professional journey, um, so my audience gets to know you. So who is Greg Taylor? Uh, Greg Taylor is uh, a son of Washington, D.C., actually raised by my grandma in Northeast D.C., way back in the 70s and 80s. Um, I can also say you know, I'm a product of the city, a product of DC public school systems, even though I went to a, a private high school mm-hmm. uh, and eventually got a basketball scholarship uh, to college. Uh, this is my 31st year in education that I got in quite by accident. I had no idea that I wanted to be a teacher, had no idea that I, I would ever make it a career. You know, uh, people say that, and, and that was me too. I had. I had no idea and no interest. Um, mm-hmm. That was my, my undergrad degree was not in uh, education. And, but I find a lot of uh, um, my, my colleagues, especially my African-American male colleagues didn't start this way. Right. Mine, I was a, a psychology major undergrad, yeah. got out of school and uh, came home, was looking for a job. Uh, and it just so happened in the summer, I worked as a camp counselor at Camp Round Meadow which used to be uh, a camp where fifth grade students would go in the summer uh, for DC public schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started there. It just so happened I was working with someone who worked in the, the DC science office Okay. Uh, for DC public schools. The DC science office was housed in Ann Bears Elementary School in some vacant rooms on the other side of the building. Uh, so I, I worked as an office assistant, you know, trying to make some money, trying to figure out what I was going to do. Sure. And at the end of that year, the principal came up to me, uh, Constant Harlinsworth. I always want to mention her name because she's the person that got me started in this business. Um, she came up to me at the end of the year and said, you know, I noticed when you walk through the halls, uh, the, the students sort of gravitate to towards you. I noticed you have a good rapport with them. Have you ever thought about teaching? Now, at the time, I I said, you know, I'm I'm not sure. You know, I'm a psychology major. Right. So she says, well, you know, D.C. has an alternative certification program. You can go to this alternative certification program. You can teach uh, full time during the day and you take classes at night. Uh, So I thought about it. And gave it a shot. And then when I saw the, the salaries that teachers were going to make, I was like, okay, it's more than what I'm making now. Yeah. So I gave that a shot. And 31 years later, here I am <laughs> working you, as a mentor teacher. 
Yeah, you know, I, I uh, was talking to somebody the other day um, who uh, was getting my book, and they actually um, started talking about they got the ebook, and they raced through my book, and they mentioned you, um, and they mentioned you know your your section on relationships, and what I remember about you, Greg, is when we worked together at Glebe, truly the students gravitated towards you. And in your ability to connect with students, one is intuitive, but also it's purposeful. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Well, you know, everything that I've uh, sort of received from this profession uh, was because somebody, because I had a relationship with somebody. Yeah. First of all, if I didn't have a good relationship with the principal at the school at the time, she never would have thought about me for that position. Sure. Uh, so everything, you know, I, I've thought back on my career and every step of the way, anytime I got anything close to like a promotion or, you know, like a, a move to a different office or, or something like that, it was because of the relationships that I had built yeah. before. Uh, you, you, uh, so <laughs> to me, relationships are everything. I was lucky enough to have like fantastic teachers in DC public schools uh, all the way up to ninth grade where I eventually went to the Murray school. Right. Uh, actually had a basketball scholarship and played for Murray. Uh, but the, the, yeah, I always kind of wanted to be like my teachers and whatever I did Yeah. Uh, for the most part, because they were so supportive. Yeah. Part of my story is I was raised by my grandma Northeast DC. And a lot of times now, you know, I'll hear other teachers uh, speak about the well, students come from a certain neighborhood or they never right. see the parents or they never see, uh, you know, never see the parents at PTA meetings or never see parents at school. Or, you know, and, and they make assumptions that the child doesn't have support or that this, you know, the culture in the home isn't such that the student, that, that they value education. Right. Yeah. But in my case, you know, you, you couldn't be farther from the truth for that. Uh, I was raised by my grandma, came from a neighborhood that people would probably discount. Uh, I, my grandma worked as a psychiatric nurse's assistant in uh, at St. Elizabeth's Hospital in D.C. Yeah. Uh, and so there were times when she depended on her shift, you know, that she would never come to a PTA meeting or anything like that. But I grew up in a house with my aunts where I was completely loved and nurtured. And uh, even though in my family, I'm the second person to graduate from college. Uh, my aunt was the first. My aunt Linda was the first. But everybody in my family were avid readers. Yeah. So there were always books around. And they, you know, uh, my aunts and uncles and my, you know, my father would actually have debates they were big on, you know, watching politics or watching, you know, debating current events. Sure. So I'm this little kid growing up in this household where, you know, we could hear debates about science, about, you know, about math, about current events, about politics. And, uh, you know, so I, I had plenty of people pour into me for all these years. So you're getting an education through just listening at home. Just listening at home. And yeah. especially like uh, African-American history. Yeah. Uh, you know, but also, uh, you know, we grew up in an era, both of us about the same age. We grew up in an era where, 
your parents taught you at home things that schools you know either didn't teach or they would just enhance what was taught at schools yeah uh so i I had the benefit of you know great teachers at home great teachers at school what i was missing sort of is that sort of male role models at home my, uh, my dad uh was only 19 when I was born, I think. My, my mother was 18. You know, that's back in the late 60s. Sure. Uh, so my dad uh, actually founded a African-American Afrocentric school at Eastern High School in, in Washington, D.C. But me. he did that when he was like 18, 19 years old. Wow. Uh, so it was called the Freedom Annex. Uh, they were tired of uh, basically going through school and working uh, in classes and uh, with a curriculum that didn't reflect their experiences at all. Uh, so my dad got uh, together with a couple of his friends and uh, went and lobbied the DC council, went and lobbied. Uh, this is that before he was 20 years old. I mean, this this is, is before, he, I mean, he had the audacity to do that at that time. That, that's so, amazing. you know, uh, everybody knows, you know, I'm all about uh, African-American history and just, yeah. you know, our, our current condition and everything but i get that from my, my dad uh, yeah. and at the same time while he was doing that you know he went away to college uh he didn't marry my mom uh married my sister's mom uh and i sort of stayed with my grandma sure so i had my, you know my dad was you know we were kind of estranged for a while uh and i had some uncles there but Again, if it wasn't for like the uh, male role models I had at school, sure, you know that that was that was huge in shaping my you know who I am today. Yeah, and it happened through sports. You know, once I uh, I was like six feet tall uh, in the sixth grade, and you know back then six feet yeah, tall like, in the sixth yeah. grade, you know you were a giant. You thought <laughs> yeah. I thought I was going to end up seven feet tall, I ended up being six four. Uh, but you know back then before. Uh, kids are like they are now, <laughs> eating whatever we're eating now. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's nothing to see. You know, kids who are six four, uh, playing basketball now, playing you know like point guard at six four. Yeah. Uh, so the more I got into sports, you know, then I had the the coaches there to sort of guide me along the way, and and uh, you know, so everything that I have in my life, ha I have because somebody somewhere along the way poured into me yeah. and you know it's important to me after I, I began to teach uh to understand the power of that that there are some kids out there uh some teachers out there now at this point in my career where I I am obligated <laughs> to do the same yeah. to pour in other people at this point do you feel like um because of you know your experience um and you know what you see from some of our students today do you, do you feel like um that's why you don't give up on any kid because you know that they can do um with the proper support you know that they can be successful exactly and you know always think back to you know who i was as an elementary kid yeah how i would have presented myself to a teacher there and my teachers never gave up on me you know, my grandma didn't come to the PTA meetings, but they knew I was loved and they, they continued to teach me. And yeah, I, I, uh, throughout my career, I've, I've 
tended to teach at schools that were in neighborhoods, kind of like the neighborhood that I grew up in, sure. with a couple of exceptions here and there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've always wanted to give back as much as I could to try to be for you know my students what I wanted and what I did receive as I was growing up yeah. from my either my coaches or my teachers. Yeah. So you and and you just kind of reflect on your your experience as a as an athlete. Um, you know, when you were younger and then in high school and then um, as a division one athlete, you know, how has that, you know, being an athlete or, you know, playing sports, how has that influenced if it has um, your teaching and working with students? Uh, you know, people don't understand there's a lot of parallels to, yeah. you know, being a, 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 especially a college athlete or a major high school athlete like, you know, I was, uh, those were my best years. Uh, when I got to William & Mary, I ended up getting hurt, so I didn't play a lot. But, yeah, you know, got to sit on the front row of some great games, <laughs> be in some great arenas, and You're going to make me say something about Duke. <laughs> I'm going to leave that for later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is, you know, I grew up, I was a Duke fan because Johnny Dawkins went there. Yeah. And uh, Tommy Amaker. Tommy Amaker, yeah. Yeah, so, you know. But I, I also, before they got there, I was like a huge Gene Banks fan. Yes, yeah. And uh, old Jim Spinarkle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, uh, Jim Spinarkle could light it up before the three-point era. Yeah. And Gene Banks was just this, like, hardcore, uh, kind of, like, scrappy player. And, you know, I saw myself as that because I really wasn't a scorer uh, in high school. Uh, I was I was a kind of, like, you know, jack-of-all-trades kind of player. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that got me to a Division One uh, scholarship. So, yeah, I mean, working working hard and, and having a great attitude, it, it can take you so, so far. Um, it can take you so far. And I think more than anything, the fact that we're so regimented, like you knew, yeah. you, you know, you had a practice at a certain time of day. You knew you had to lift. You knew you had to eat you know, a certain way. Yeah. Uh, you knew you had meetings with your team. And that just carries over into your work life because you're used to getting up early. You're used to accomplishing, you know, having very specific goals and accomplishing those goals. And the same thing happens in the school setting, just in a different, uh, you know, just, just in a different setting, basically. Yeah. You know, they, they, when, when I uh, played at George Washington and we had a, a coach, um, my first coach was Jerry Gimmelstab. He was an assistant with Bobby Knight. Hmm. And he was very similar um, to Bobby Knight. And then my second coach was John Keister, who played for Carolina. And he was very different from, from um, uh, Gimmelstab. But, you know, what I, I learned, um, one, is that you have to be able to navigate a lot of different personalities uh, along the way. I mean, your bosses or people you're working with. Um, you also have to navigate sometimes people you don't like, but you have to work together. You know, yeah, exactly. All the things that, like you said, that there's so many parallels to being on a team and playing in a game, the ups and downs of having to get back up and and be positive when, you, when you're failing. Because when you shoot the ball, you know this, most people don't shoot 50%. We miss more more than we make. Exactly. You know, exactly. So you have to be able to bounce back and, and, and brush, those, brush those things off just like in life. And I think those are... Are, are great lessons for anybody who plays um, on a on a team or any type of sport. And then, then the other parallel is the relationships that we built. Again, we're talking about relationships. Yeah. 
Yeah, there are guys that I, that I played with, or I'll say I was on the team with, that are my brothers for life. Yeah. And to yeah. this day, you know, we talked, you know, almost every day. Uh, yeah, I have three brothers for life that I met at, at uh, Murray. Actually, four brothers for life that I met at Murray. Yeah. And we, we still talk, you know, weekly and go out, you know, every few months or so. Yeah. Uh, so those relationships that we build up, it reminds me a lot of the relationships that as a, a educator, you know, every school that you've taught in, every situation that you've taught in, you know, you, you pick up something from somebody, you, exactly. you uh, form these relationships and, you know, you, you end up forming these like sort of lifelong relationships or, or lifelong mentorships in a way. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I found um, is that being on, especially for me, coming from the eastern shore of Maryland, where it's really rural and it was very country, mm -hmm. here to D.C. and then coming and having teammates who are from, you know, the city, from D.C., from Newark, New, um, New York, you dispel a lot of myths about each other because you come in with these preconceived notions about each other mm -hmm. and how, you know, this guy's a country guy, this guy's from the city, or this guy's, you know, white guy, or black guy. But when you're on the team and you start to learn about each other, you find that you have a lot more commonalities than you have differences. Exactly. Exactly. And in some cases, you know, your preconceived notion of somebody is going to be exactly what you thought, yeah. but you still learn to get along with that person. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, you're on the same team and you spend so much time together that you can't help but get along with people. Yeah. Yep. Hey, you um, have, again, in my intro, I said you're almost 30 years or over 30 years um, in education, and you've had a, a lot of different experiences. And one of your experiences was that of a minority achievement coordinator. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that was, it's a, it's a powerful position. And I think you did, a, I mean, I, I've heard you and talk about it before. I've seen you, you know, write about it or, or post about it. But can you talk a little bit about that position and, and, and then your position now as a mentor teacher? Because that's huge. Mm -hmm. So minority achievement coordinator in Arlington, I would say that was the most, uh, I, I guess, transformative years of my career. Mm -hmm. uh, mostly because I, I had, uh, you, you know, Cheryl Robinson. Yep, I do. Uh, yeah. Again, like most transformative supervisor slash mentor that i've ever had really uh, and I've, I've i've had the benefit of having like quite a few mentors quite a few supervisors who were were also like mentors to me um uh, at every step of the way actually but with with the minority achievement coordinator uh position it was twofold so our primary uh primary purpose was to eliminate the achievement gap. So to provide uh, programs and services that eliminate the achievement gap. So that was the primary focus of it. So uh, there was a, a classroom component where we would go in and run student groups, basically filling in gaps for students who are uh, traditionally underrepresented and yeah. underserved. Yeah. And then the other part of that was I was a facilitator of courageous conversations about race and equity in schools. Yeah. Uh, and that was really important work. And at the same time, I got burned out from it because in some of the, some of the situations we're, we, you know, we're talking about how uh, race or actually the difference of, of race between the teacher and the students that they teach 
Right. Yeah, we all sort of bring in our unconscious bias, we, we uh, our implicit bias into the, every situation that we're in. Yeah. And you have to be aware of where you stand, what your unconscious biases are, and how that plays out in a classroom situation. Sure. Uh, so we would we would uh, basically go in and do seminars uh, for entire schools. Uh, for uh, departments. Uh, one of my favorite ones was uh, when I facilitated these conversations with bus drivers. Ooh, okay. So when we had all the bus drivers from Arlington Public Schools in uh, one room, it was like a couple of hundred of them. And we had to make them understand or get across to them that you're the first face that a student sees. Yeah. And the last face that a student sees that represents Arlington Public Schools. So you pick the students up in the morning, you take them home in the afternoon. You're the first and the last face that they see. Yeah. Uh, so the relationships again <laughs> that you built with those students, they're going to carry over into the classroom. Right. And we had uh, there was some situations where some of the bus drivers were from the same country, but they may have been. Uh, from different different either ethnic groups or social groups in in the country, yeah. and that was that was playing out on the buses. <laughs> so, wow. you know, some of the drivers were having issues with some of the students and some of the students' parents. So, you know, we went in and just explained to them like, "Hey, you know, you're the first and the last, yeah. and you set the tone of how a student comes to school. You set the tone of how they go home." And when they understood that. Uh, you know, when we got that across to them, it was you could just see the light bulbs going off in the room. You know, I think one of the things that we are not good at as a, as a profession is we create hierarchies ourselves, mm -hmm. our profession. And what I tried to do when I was uh, the principal um, and administrator is to say, OK, everybody in our building who works here is an expert at what they do. They are educators. And so, like you're saying, bus drivers they're educators. They're, they're, exactly. They are because they are building relationships. They're helping students start their day. They're, they're helping students end their day. Um, they're teaching students how to ride properly on a bus. All the things that they do are custodians. I said, you know, they're teaching us. They're, they're leaders, our office workers, our, our um, cafeteria staff. And I think um, helping our staffs understand that they are so important to this puzzle because we can't do this without them. And, and they can set the temperature. They can change the temperature in the room based on their exactly. interactions with students. I, I worked with uh, a custodian a few years ago, Mr. Steve at Kettering Elementary School. And I, I'm, I'm not sure Mr. Steve understood or, or really understood like how important he was to the school. Yeah. In terms of, first of all, all the students knew Mr. Steve. Yeah. And Mr. Steve knew every student. And Mr. Steve would often do lunch cafeteria duty by himself in the cafeteria. And wow. there, there would be. So imagine, you know, you have the custodian in yeah. there and all yeah. the kids knew like, hey, Mr. Steve's right there. I'm not going to mess up. I'm sure. going to eat my food, <laughs> put my trash away. Uh, so Mr. Steve was like this integral part of the school, just as important as any teacher, just as important as as any administrator. And, you know, you, you have the same thing, like you mentioned the cafeteria staff. 
Yeah. Support staff in the office. You know, for any new teacher, uh, you know, that's coming into the profession, get to know your custodians, get to yeah. know your office staff, get to know your uh, cafeteria staff. Uh, one, they're the true backbones of schools. They make the schools run. Yeah. You know, they are there before we get there. And they're there after we get there <laughs> and they, they keep the systems moving. Yes. Yeah. And I think we have to, at, at times for me, and this is just my perspective, I had to, to, to let our support staff know how important they were. Like, mm-hmm. like sometimes they were say, well, I'm just a, a custodian. No, exactly. Every job. We want our, our, our students to see that every job is is admirable it's honorable and if you work hard then you should be lauded and 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 so exactly with our custodians my i call her my co-principal my assistant principal and i we would ask our 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 custodians to teach us every single piece of equipment because we wanted them to be the educators we wanted them to be the teachers the leaders and Mm -hmm. say you are the experts so that t5 buffer and changing the pads all that stuff we would have our custodians teach us. And that made them feel good because they were the experts. Exactly, exactly. And the nice cafeteria ladies, you know, uh, and gentlemen, uh, always the support staff. Yeah. You know, uh, those positions, those people uh, basically set the tone and the culture for the school. And I I don't think people realize that as much as they should. Yeah. Uh, when you first walk into the office, yeah, you know, I, I get to visit a lot of different schools now in my mentor teacher role. Sure. Uh, so when as soon as you walk in the office, you can tell, you know, like the culture of the school. And yeah. that's just, again, just like those bus drivers were, that office staff is the first face that people see when they sign into a building and the last faces that they see when you, you sign out of the building. And they, they sort of set the tone of, you know, what is the school, you know, what's the culture of the school? How welcoming is it? You yeah. know, yeah. Um, I walked into a school today, um, a former teacher of mine, Christy Yarn is now a principal and I went to visit her because she's a new principal and I wanted to kind of give her um, just to say hi and, and just to give her a little pep talk. Um, and I walked into the building and into the office and the staff was smiling, the office staff, very welcoming. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, you only get one chance at a first impression. Exactly. And I say, when I went up, I walked in there, I felt welcome already. They didn't know who I was. And it was just, again, that, that idea of helping our every single person in the building understand how important they are to the education of our kids is, is critical. Exactly. Hey, last, last year, um, you started off as a mentor teacher. Uh, and then something happened. You had to go back and... <laughs> And you write about it in my book um, because you talk about how you had to pivot, but you had to pivot kind of like, I don't know, a couple months into the year to go back to the classroom. Can you talk about it? And you wrote about it in my book when we talk about, you know, fostering connections and empowering students. Can you talk about, one, having to go back into the classroom in, you know, midway through and then how you made those connections with students and, and what did you do? I mean, you talked talked about it in my book, but I want you to kind of share some of the hmm. ways that you started to build relationships going into the classroom after school had already started. Right. And that was difficult. Uh, so uh, Prince George's County Public Schools 
experienced massive teacher shortage last year, as uh, a lot of people around the country are doing now. Yep. Uh, so uh, central office staff with uh, teaching degrees uh, were reassigned back to a classroom to be the teacher of, of record yeah. for the year. Uh, and this, you know, this happened just a few days before school started. So we, we had like a little transition period. Uh, at the same time, uh, my oldest child uh, was diagnosed with Crohn's and ended up having surgery to have the colon removed. So uh, I was out for a, a while after that right. as well, you right. know, to, to pretty much take care of them. So uh, I, I ended up taking over the class and I believe in December. Wow. Uh, so what worried me going in is I knew how important like those first few weeks of school are. Yeah. And I knew how important it is to sort of build those relationships along the way. Mm -hmm. And those students had already built up relationships with a, a couple of teachers uh, throughout the year. So sure. when I took over the class, you know, it was, it was, I knew going in that it was going to be difficult because, you know, one, I was there, I believe second or third teacher uh, for that year. That was in what the grade. Class. Was it was fifth grade. Yeah, that's, that's not so easy. So you have fifth yeah. grade students, you know, and Prince George's County next year, they're going to go to middle school. Yeah. And they've already sort of imprinted on another teacher or another couple of teachers throughout the year. Yeah. And here's this guy that they don't know, uh, just, you know, showed up out of the thin air as far as they were concerned. Right. Uh, the students had already built up their relationships, uh, you know, student to student. Sure. They already imprinted on another teacher, fantastic teacher, uh, Ms. Dinkins. Uh, and so here I, here I come in. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, you know, it was important for me not to lead immediately with the curriculum. Yeah. So it took a, a long time. I took that class over in December. And I have to say it wasn't really until uh we went on a we went on a camping trip actually. Uh so uh Prince George's County has uh uh Camp Schmidt down in Brandywine. Okay. That all fifth grade students go and they do an overnight. So it wasn't until we went on that trip and that wasn't, we didn't go on that trip until really March. So like from December to March, it was a daily grind to build sure. these relationships, build in my routines, build in everything. Yeah. Uh, just because the students really didn't trust me. They didn't know me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they missed their old teacher. Uh, so around after that trip, it was like night and day because one, I got to see them in a, in a setting that I normally didn't see them in. Sure. And they got to see me in a setting that they definitely normally wouldn't see me in. Yeah. And for those two days, you know, I was the guy that was making sure that you made it through the woods <laughs> on sure. the path. Yeah. You know, the guy at the end of the obstacle course, of, you know, give you a high five and tell you, Hey, you did a great job. And it, it, you know, they they saw me in a different light after that. You know, I I think about you and and coming into that classroom, and they were very fortunate because you had the knowledge, skills, wisdom, experience to know that this was going to take time. Hmm. If, if a, a just a brand new teacher was plopped in there 
and just started trying to race through the curriculum because I feeling the pressure to try, try to cover stuff. Exactly. That, oh, excuse me. Doing the most important things is connecting. Exactly. And the, the curriculum is important. And like I said in the book, the curriculum is important. Instruction is important. But none of that is going to matter if the students don't trust you. Yeah. And none of that is going to matter if the students don't see you as a person and you don't see them as, as people and really get to know them, really get to know their parents. Uh, so I mentioned in the book as well that some of the things that I did to to sort of force getting to know them was volunteering for carpool duty, duty. Yeah. going out in the afternoon and just meeting parents, talking to the parents, uh, yeah. positive phone calls home. Yeah. Uh, there was a few times, you know, we walked students home. Yeah. Uh, and you get to meet people in the neighborhood. You you get to see the grandmas that are picking up the students. Yeah. And, you know, me raised by my grandma, I automatically gravitate to the grandmas that are picking students up. Yeah. So, you know, you, you build those relationships up with the parents uh, and the, the positive relationships and they get to see you as a person. They get to see that you have their students' best interests at heart. And it, it, that makes those difficult conversations that you may have to have later so much easier Yeah, because they know, you know, that you, you can tell your friend anything yeah. because your friend knows that it's coming from a, a good place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, by that, that same philosophy, building those positive relationships just allows you to be able to have those more difficult conversations later on yeah. and people understand that. Yeah, you know, this guy has my 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 child's best interest at heart, and they you know they're not just getting after him for no reason. Well, that you you've shown them that you've gone the extra mile. I mean, walking a kid's home or or just making sure you're purposeful and you know car duty or or meeting people, uh, they're, they're they see that people notice that. Hmm. You know? Hey, in the book, you also talk about this concept of windows, mirrors, and sliding doors. Talk a little bit about that in terms of the students. So windows, mirrors, and sliding doors, mostly windows and mirrors, the sliding door concept, you actually told me about that. Uh, so the windows and mirrors, uh, the curriculum, the school experience should serve as both a window through which people see other people's experiences yeah. and a mirror in which their own experiences are reflected uh, for and I, you know, this is my opinion, and this is my my uh, my experience. American schools do a good job of providing windows for minority students. We do not do a very good job of providing mirrors yeah. for minority students, and it's no, to me, it's it's no surprise that there's a an achievement gap uh, that's predictable by race. Uh, especially in school systems that don't provide those mirrors. And we're in a situation now, you know, nationwide, where in some states, some people are uh, smashing those mirrors <laughs> as much as they can. Yeah. Uh, and that, to me, that's, a, that's a, a dangerous precedent, dangerous thing. We're going backwards. Well, I think the other thing is, and you, and you said it, it's, it's if, for those of us who have um, parents at home who are teaching us history, yeah, um, that's fine. But some of us, and again, it's not because parents don't care. Some may not have, you know, the time or whatever, or, mm -hmm. or, or the knowledge. And and if we don't have um, in the curriculum, people who come from our backgrounds or look like us, then 
a lot of times kids are like, well, it's not that they can't learn. They're just not connected. Not connected. Not connected. And so I, I love, you know, how you, you know, talked about in the book, when you write word problems, you'll put kids' names in it. So, you know, if a kid hears their name, oh, mm -hmm. they're going to be more interested. Put the names in, neighborhood landmarks, yeah. uh, places, that, you know, places that they've been. Yeah, you can make the work relevant and still teach your curriculum. Yeah, yeah. a lot of times I'll hear, uh, you know, like science teachers in particular, math teachers in particular say, well, math is math, science is science. Yeah, the content is, but you can bring that content to life by relating it to students' lives, yeah. making it relevant, yeah. uh, making those references relevant. You know, we all have uh, in science class, we always hear, you know, the same uh group of scientists you know throughout school you know we're hearing the same people over and over when there's like uh, you know tons of of uh minorities and you know uh, people worldwide who've made contributions that I, I think you have to go beyond the book you have to go beyond the curriculum uh to pull those things those people in Talk about your your role as as mentor teacher. So so you go from the classroom to mentor teacher, and you say you're visiting a lot of schools now. What, what is your role like? You know, is your role kind of prescribed, or do you kind of get to massage your role and and connect with people? Are you uh, assigned to one region? You know, what does it look like? So uh, the mentor teacher position is really to uh, we get assigned to teachers who are either brand new to Prince George's County Public Schools uh, right. within, you know, and so it can be an experienced teacher, but you've moved over from another district. Right. And this is your first three years in Prince George's County Public Schools, or it can be completely novice teachers. Uh, and uh, what we do is provide sort of like onboarding uh, support as well as uh, classroom support, really with classroom management and with uh, making sure the teachers are following the framework for teaching, Charlotte Daniels' uh, framework for teaching. Sure. And do you have, do you, are you assigned to a certain group of, of teachers um, or is it kind of random? So we're assigned to a, a group of teachers. It, it So the teachers can either uh, self-refer. Okay. Or principals can refer teachers. Okay. Uh, so, if, you know, if principals have a group of brand new teachers uh, coming to their school, they can refer. And basically any anyone that they refer or anyone who self-refers, we, we have a mentor for them. Okay. Uh, so there are about 55 to 57 of us, I think. Okay. Um, and we get assigned to everybody who either self-referred or were referred by their principal. And the funny thing is, this year, I'm assigned to all the PE teachers oh, in really? the county, the, the brand new PE teachers in the oh. county. Now, you know my career. I've never taught PE. I taught PE. That was my first job. <laughs> that's funny. But, you know, I can walk into a, a gym and tell, have you done your, have you had some pre-planning? Sure. Are you organized? Are the students safe? Uh, are you managing your class? Are you managing your procedures? Are there procedures in place? So basically, you know, we're all about classroom management and then best practices, basically. So regardless of the uh, the subject matter, you know, we can go into, you know, pretty much any educational environment and within a couple of minutes say, oh, yeah, you know, this person's doing this, this, they're doing that, or they need to work on this, this, and this. 
Yeah, it doesn't matter the subject matter. If you if you're a teacher, you're a teacher. Like you know, if exactly you're going in to watch a a music teacher or an art teacher, you're looking to see if they've identified essential skills that all kids need to master. How are they assessing those skills? And if they're not mastering those skills, how are they intervening and extending? That's that's across the board. It doesn't across matter across the board. Yeah. So uh, you know, of course, my specialty is math and science. But another mentor teacher reminded me, like, hey, you're a mentor teacher now. Your specialty is yeah. management, best practices. Exactly. And that's what you're going to support your, your mentees on. So now I have uh, 15 mentees at, I think, 10 or 11 different schools. Okay. Uh, and the requirement is for those teachers, I see them 45 minutes a week uh, okay. or an hour and a half every two weeks. Um, and when you say you see them, do you go into the classroom, and observe them, or do you meet with them or a combination? It's a combination of both. So, uh, yeah, we, we, the, our teachers now are going through uh, beginning of the year conferences. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it, it start started with like very basic things. How do you access your curriculum? Yeah. How do you put your grades in? Uh, how do you publish your grades when it's time for uh, you know, the, the end of the marketing period or, or midterm period. Um, how do you prepare for a formal observation? You know, here's here's the the website that you need to go to and upload your your formal lesson plan. That's like Maslow's hierarchy. Teachers have to know like the basics before they can actually basics. everything else. Right. And then, you know, in the classroom setting, so, you know, I'm helping them with lesson planning, like sitting down and really understanding like, your lesson plan and planning in general is going to take care of 90% of your management problems. Yeah. Because if you have a good plan, you know, you're not going to have downtime. If you have downtime, your students are going to fill that downtime with activity. Of, you know, and it may be positive, but most of the time it's not um, because, you know, they're, they're kids. Yeah. So um, that that's the support that we give them throughout the year. Uh, and, uh, the, the they get that that support is sort of gradually uh, weaned off after three years. So right. you know, once you have a mentor teacher, you'll have a mentor teacher, not necessarily the same one. Right. Uh, for the first three years that you're in Prince George's County Public Schools. And how are you? How are you liking it? I love it because it it is to me one of the 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 best way that I can give back to the profession. After 31 years, you know, the, the retirement light of the, the end of the tunnel, you know, I can finally start to see it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, where I necessarily would not necessarily want to be in the classroom yeah. uh, anymore, just because, you know, just at a different different point in my career, it's I feel like it's my time to give back, to pour into people the same way throughout my career you know every place i've been somebody's poured into me and i think it's really important because the the stress of our profession now and and the attrition rate we're losing teachers faster than we can get them in exactly and there are none in the education schools pipeline yeah yeah, yeah. so if we're if to to give them support you know those that first 3 years is critical i mean we i think it was like we lose like 50% of our teachers within the first five years or something like that. It's just, mm -hmm. it is, um, so your position, I'm glad that they have those positions to give that support to those teachers. 
Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of people who resigned last year, they cited that they just didn't have the the support that they needed. Uh, yeah. So while we were in the classroom last year, uh, you know, fulfilling the role that needed to be filled at that time, it was also yeah. the the role of support that we weren't able to give last year as much as we could because we were teaching all day. So, hey, what advice would you give to um, an aspiring educator who's like a considering a career change, like kind of like you did? I would say to really research the profession, uh, to really understand that the learning curve is very steep, yeah. uh, that it takes more than just loving kids or it takes more than you know having a, a bubbly personality. Uh, and that if you're gonna get into this profession, understand that you are gonna have to take the time to hone your craft if you really wanna be good at it. Uh, yeah, I look back at my career, looking back, you know, 31 years later, those first three years, yeah, it was horrible, <laughs> you know, just because I was in that learning stage. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wasn't an education major. Yeah, you know, I was a psychology, you know, first degree is in psychology. Uh, I was taking classes at night, the education and pedagogy classes at night at Trinity. and you know, it was it, it was hard those first, especially that first year, uh, to sort of internalize all of that that I was doing and turn it around and teach it at the same time. Yeah. So I made a lot of mistakes. And, you know, at, at this point in my career, I look back at my first few classes and I just shake my head. It's like, man, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was so bad. I wish, you know, I, I hope my, my students, you know, forgive me for those first three years. But you know what? your ability to connect and build relationships was probably the same. It was, you still had that want to build relationships with those kids. And and a lot of times that's important because they, they're like, Mr. Taylor believed in me, mm. cared about me. And, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because, you know, I still keep up with a lot of my students from those first few years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, I've, and they're, they're, all of them, for the most part, are doing like fantastic things in the world. Yeah. I have uh, student Gregory Archer, who is a detective in the in Washington D.C., the same wow. neighborhood that he grew up in. Wow! Uh, I have a young lady in Arlington that I taught when she was in fifth grade. She's a, a worldwide uh, recognized uh, singer. Uh, oh yeah, I was there with you. A beer. A, a beer. Yeah, yeah, a beer. I was, so, you I know. was a counselor there when you were the, the yes, when yeah. she was in my class. So, yeah. you know, and then just students from from all the years, you know, I've, I've had a chance to keep up with a lot of them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, always pleasantly surprised when I, when I bump into them outside and they're these grown people with their own students, their own kids now. And I'm you know, just beamed with pride because I'm like, I remember when you were, you know, this little fifth grade kid or this yeah. third grade kid. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing like that. Yeah. And I, I've only in 31 years had a, a just like one or two students where the story didn't end so so nice. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you, you sort of I sort of carry those students because, I you know, I think back. I was like, yeah, is there anything I could have done different that could have changed their path? But. I think, I think we all do that because it's like um, 
I think that's just who we are. Mm. Um, we care so deeply and we want everybody to succeed. And we want, I mean, my, my question to people is always, um, do you think we should treat the kids who are coming into our schools as if they were our own kids? Oh, yeah. And have the same expectations. And, and I don't think in the thousands of people I've asked in Australia, Canada, US, wherever I've presented, nobody has ever said no. So if that's the case, you know, we're, we're, we're literally, literally in lieu of parents in local. Exactly. In local parentheses. So if that's the case, if we, you know, find out that you know, a kid didn't make it or something happened, that breaks your heart. That's your oh, it does. It does. And those, those uh, two in particular, uh, but yeah, you know, the, the success stories, yeah. uh, you know, uh, much more than the, the non-success stories. Uh, but you you know, you, you, you still, yeah, as a former athlete, you remember the losses more than you remember the wins. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it, that's what keeps you going and trying to get better. Yeah. Um, Greg, I really appreciate this. This time has flown by. <laughs> we're we're almost we're actually out of time, but I I did want to ask a couple more questions before we go. Um, you talked about you know your grandmother and, and your aunts and your father and other people who have been you know really instrumental. Can you talk a little bit about? And I I see you on Facebook talking about him. Can you talk a little about a bit about your um, high school basketball coach? Um, oh, Coach McAdams. Mc, McAdams uh, yeah. So I met Coach way back in, I think it was like 1979. Uh, yeah, he was head basketball coach at the Murray School. Murray right. School's up in uh, near off of Cathedral Avenue, up near the zoo. Yeah, and you know I grew up in in DC, way over in Northeast. Right. Yeah, but yeah. what Coach would do is he would come with with uh, his assistant coach, Coach Charles Lewis, who actually passed away uh, a couple of years ago now. Uh, would come into the D.C. public schools and the junior high schools mm -hmm. and they would talk to the counselors and they would talk to the principals and they would say, well, who, who are your, your top students? Yeah, your, your top male students. Right. And also, who are your top male students that are also athletes? So they would, they would recruit and mm -hmm. they would come in and they would do clinics in the, the different neighborhoods. And then, uh, they, you know, they bring us up to the school. Uh, we take the entrance exam and pretty much, you know, they, they would choose, I think, two to three of us a year uh, from all around the city uh, uh, to come to Murray. Uh, Experience, you know, you know, because you, there's no bus, right? You had to take the public transportation. Oh, man. To this day, the reason why I do not take public transportation it's <laughs> because of those years of getting up at the border and taking a bus at the top of my street to Union Station, taking a subway to Upper Northwest, getting off of the subway and taking another bus up that hill, Cathedral <laughs> Avenue, uh, you know, every day. And then, uh, you know, the, the reverse on the way home. That's a lesson in itself in persistence, you know, you know, you, oh, yeah. being dedicated to you know, getting to school. But yeah, but so and, and, and so when you talk about Coach McAdams, you know, I know he you know got you there. What kind of coach was he? What kind of person with you? I know you still are in touch with him. Still in touch with him. I, I just went to his uh, induction into the Metropolitan Basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah. He was already inducted into the uh, Washington uh, Sports Hall of Fame. 
two years ago, I think. But uh, Coach was, you know, you hear him on the radio. Uh, so, yeah. so even when he was coaching, he started the radio show, in, I think, at WOL in D.C. Uh, with, with Kathy Hughes. And he's done that from, you know, throughout his career. But, again, to me, he was, and Coach Lewis, too, because uh, Coach McAdams ended up leaving, I think, at the end of my sophomore year. Right. So I had him the first two years. Right. And then the end of my sophomore year, he went back to his alma mater at uh, Mackin High School mm-hmm. and coached there at Mackin High School until uh, the school closed, basically. And then he came back to Murray. Uh, but again, to me, Coach was, was, has always been like a father figure, yeah. uh, sort of like a dad away from home, uh, as were all of my coaches, basically, throughout my career, my uh, basketball career. Uh, and again, you know, with, with Coach Lewis as well, we spent so much time together. You know how it is, you know, spending that time in the practices and on the road and in the games. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't thank Coach enough for, one, the opportunity to go to a school like Murray, uh, where I learned quite a bit outside of the curriculum. Sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, one thing I definitely learned was, yeah. Going from my neighborhood in, in Northeast DC and going to school in Upper Northwest, it was uh, like a culture shock. Uh, yeah. Kind of, so yeah, I was going to school with, uh, you know, pretty much doctors, lawyers, senators, kids. You yeah. know, uh, I think at one time, uh, uh, the uh, Queen Noor and. Uh, King Hussein of Jordan, I think one of their students, oh. went, one of their kids went to Murray, I think. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were we we were basically hobnobbing with <laughs> in class with, you know, the future movers and shakers of, of you know, not just D.C., but sort of the world. But they were hobnobbing with a future amazing educator. <laughs> yeah, that's one to way to raise our, our profession because we are the profession of all professions. Exactly. Uh, we we teach everybody, and even at you know Murray, I had some fantastic teachers again uh, that I try to channel. You know, I I keep the quote that you always say in mind: "Where I go, I wear you." As well, I go, I'm wearing you. Yeah. Uh, so everywhere I go, I'm wearing you know so many different people, uh, trying to take the best from all of those people, and and provide those things that they provided for me to others yeah well that's a great segue because we got to end it here but um again at the end of my my sessions i say as i go i am wearing you i uh shared that at my dad's funeral a few few years ago because he was you know he was a you know a a reading teacher and then a a principal before um, schools integrated and when they integrated schools most of the black principals lost their jobs and they had to go back to the classroom because they closed the black schools right and so um, but he was always, you know, you know, about education, you know, in our, my, my home now, um, where my mom still lives, my dad had like 10,000 books. Um, and just, just because that was, he just loved to read. Um, mm-hmm. I've had so many people along the way through my life that I have, uh, that I am wearing, including you, like when I, we worked together, it was really just um, a pleasure just knowing how much one you cared about kids 
but just the connections that you made. And it just seems so easy for you. But I think, again, your life experience and, and what you believe in really allowed you to connect with, you know, any kid, no matter the culture, race, where they came from, mm-hmm. you really saw each child. And so I really appreciate, you know, what you did and what you continue to do um, for our profession um, now as mentor teacher. Um, and I just want to thank you for coming on tonight. Thank you so much for having me, brother. And congratulations on your book. I got my copy. Oh, thanks. <laughs> we, we, I, I appreciate one. I appreciate you uh, writing your piece on you know relationships and connections, but also on getting me connected with Calvin Barnes, your your nephew. Oh yeah, my nephew. Great story. Incredible young man. Working for TNT is uh, really impressive. So a, a product of PG County Schools, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So. Greg, thanks so much. And uh, I appreciate you coming on a conversation with Brian and we'll see you very soon. Thank you, bro. Subscribe to A Conversation with Brian on my YouTube channel and Spotify.